Hi, I think it's been a minute since we've uh, done one of these little, I guess it's kind of part of Suncast is to do the podcast part of it, right? <laughs> we might get fired. We might get fired from this, Josh. It's been, been a little bit. We did take Thanksgiving break off from the podcast, uh, you know, be, spend a little bit of time with our families. Of course, at the end of Thanksgiving break, we all know what happened in West Palm Beach, Florida with the Kaiser Seahawks upsetting Morningside. We're going to get into everything men's soccer, excuse me, uh, football-wise. We will touch a little bit on uh, the men's soccer tournament. The Sun Conference was up and out of Decatur, but it's about as soon as uh, we could get in get in to the men's soccer national tournament, disappointing into the season in men's soccer. But we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to look forward to this episode. Josh, how you feeling, man? How you doing? Doing good, man. Coming down to the wire you know, of this semester, it's been it's been tough to manage everything, but I'm glad we could fit fit this in today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of student athletes, they all know, we all know what that kind of end of term looks like, and we are at the end of it. We can we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with projects and everything. Josh, I think this might be the furthest the furthest away you and I have ever been recording a podcast. You're absolutely right. That's right. Why I am is that? In- I am in beautiful orange. Thank you for asking. First off, I am in beautiful Orange Beach, Alabama, the host city of the NAIA Women's Soccer National Championships. Josh, this place is just amazing. Beautiful. You know, you don't really go to the beach uh, this part of the year, but being around here, it's an awesome city. It's my first time in Orange Beach and just got to explore a little bit. I've only been here a few hours. I love this city. And, you know, we we talk about the NAIA a lot and, you know, what what we feel like they can do right or do wrong or this, that and the other. One thing I can definitively say, the NAIA does as well as any anybody. And this is a huge uh, tip of the cap to them and their championship staff. Uh, Shout out Brad Segan of the NAIA. They know how to host a national tournament, a national championship environment. And the women's soccer uh, championships are no different. I went by the stadium. It is decked out in NAIA gear. It is decked out in NAIA apparel. Uh, the, the field looks beautiful. I saw a guy doing the line. Here's how he was making the lines for the uh, the field. They had a robot. There was a robot, so it would go all the way down. with like a little like white spray can going down it and I, I was amazed for like a good 30 seconds by it it's just like this is technology now but uh you know shout out nai again shout out brad c and just do they do an amazing job and why are we here of course and what is this whole podcast uh, going to be about today well it is the team that maybe have may have be let me get my thoughts about how I want to word this, but they are a team. They are a program that at the end of 2022, in the next coming weeks, we can look back and say 2022 was won by the Kaiser Seahawks in West Palm Beach. And Josh, I don't think a, a couple of weeks ago, any of us would necessarily be, be saying that. I think the obvious answer for 2022 were the Southeastern fire, obviously what baseball did, obviously what softball did. But here in the fall sports, and we're seeing what Kaiser football, obviously Kaiser men's soccer, they swept away the Sun Conference. Unfortunate that they are not in uh, Decatur. We'll get into that also. But what their what their football team has done and is doing, and the same with their women's soccer team, a little bit different, you know, what I think overall goal-wise. 
I, I would say for Kaiser football, where they're at right now is a win, an absolute win. They are in the semifinals. Josh, we're getting that in a second. Um, but before we do, we got to talk about this Kaiser women's soccer team. It's here. It is. Okay. All year, we have said, not just us, not just myself, not just Josh, not just teams in this conference, but the entire NAI has said, Kaiser, you are the pinnacle. You are the best team in this in, in the NAI. You have been it since September through October through November. It is not wary. And on December 1st, tomorrow, it's time. It is it is time for if you want to be the number one team and you want this season to be what we all think it can be. It start it really starts tomorrow. The real test starts tomorrow. Obviously, opening round games are are tough. Kaiser got through that. But they start out tomorrow with a team that looking at it kind of reminds me of Kaiser in a slightly less way. I think they're a very similar. We were talking about, of course, Aquinas uh, out of Michigan. They are 21-2-1. Of course, the record was the, the first thing that kind of stuck out to me. Okay, so this team is could very well be similar to Kaiser. Kaiser's 20-0-1, Jimmy 21-0-1. So only two extra games for Aquinas, and they have the two losses and the those two extra games against good teams, good two top ten, two top 15 teams. They have not lost since September 10th at Marion, a tournament team, a team Kaiser will likely have to go through. And then Central Methodist, they, they lost to in the second game of the year. And fast forward all the way to about two weeks ago, they played in their uh, I believe in their opening round matchup. Uh, yeah, in their opening round final matchup, they won 2-1 over the Eagles of Central Methodist. They just took down Westmont 2-1. Westmont was the team that went to Lakeland and knocked out the Southeastern Fire, a team I thought was bona fide to be in Orange Beach. Was not the case, thanks to the team, the other Sun Conference, uh, the, the Sun Conference team that is representing the conference, the Kaiser Seahawks, are taking on tomorrow. Aquinas took care of uh Westmount to the one as I said uh how they play uh is very similar it, and how they've played all year is very similar to Kaiser they have been dominant throughout their pretty much the entire year you look at September 10th was their last negative result a 1-5 uh loss at Marion what else sticks out to me Josh looking at the schedule um of Aquinas is a nil-nil draw at home to Ave Maria. And looking at this, I've had a little bit of discussion. How much weight do I hold in that nil-nil draw? Because it happened all the way back on September 7th. This is obviously not the same team that's led by senior Hannah Crum, who's been up there with them. She's a Michigan native. She is leading them with goals. She is only one point behind Sydney Shank, who has 15 goals, 10 assists, has one more point, 40 total total overall points for the Kaiser opponent tomorrow. But in that nil-nil draw to Ave, look, we obviously know Kaiser is a lot better than Ave Maria. And I think it's safe to say Aquinas is too, but there is that nil-nil draw. And we look at their schedule I'm not going to say that they had a easy schedule. One, because these are a couple, there are a couple decent teams on here, but they are in a very uh, nowhere near. I mean, very, very far away from talent wise in the Sun Conference, but they took care of business. You know, looking at uh, Lawrence Tech, Indiana Tech, Cornerstone, Siena Heights, they 
didn't allow a goal throughout most of conference play. In fact, just Siena Heights, a 5-2 win. Other than that, they have been shut down. And a couple of close results in the tournament, Central Methodist 2-1, Westmount 2-1, and then Jamestown 3-1 being their last three. They did allow goals there. But this is a team that relies heavy on their two strikers, Crum and Shank. Uh, Hollingsworth and Connell provide the majority of the assists. They have 19. Those two have 19 of the 49, along with uh, Sydney Shank. She has 10. So they are a little bit of a top-heavy group, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, the, for me, the key to this game for Kaiser is, look, you're the number one seed. This is the eight seed. They're coming off a very physical a daunting game. I believe a lot of people had Westmount winning this game over um, Aquana. So they've kind of had that hurdle one. Okay, they win. That was an eight nine matchup. Nothing really crazy there. They're now taking on number one Kaiser. And I think for the Seahawks, I would like to see them create some space on the outside. And very similar to what the U.S. did to Iran, those watched the World Cup. The the talent-wise, and I'm, I'm going to say likely the coaching with Coach Dunn, I think there is a serious advantage to be had there. So if Kaiser can find the mistake and be able to widen the ball out a little bit more and get the fullbacks on up the field and then be able to find the likes of Maya Henriksen and Ramona Kennedy um, and Kiki in the middle, well, Maha will be a little bit more out wide and, and going out doing some of this. But what the U.S. did really well in their movement against Iran, and this is something that not a lot of people would notice, and I didn't notice the first time watching when the U.S. scored their goal against Iran to go 1-0 up. When you looked at the buildup of that, not to go on a complete World Cup, it's still, it's still soccer. Anyways, um, Tyler Adams comes up the middle, and the Iranian defense did a good job shifting with it. Adams push, pushes the ball to the far, to the near side, down the line immediately to uh, Robinson. Now, this is something that a lot of teams obviously do, go down the wing immediately, play it fast, and get in. What something Kaiser has done this year, and I saw it in the U.S. doing, and I will expect to see it possibly be exploited tomorrow, is immediately once that through, not necessarily through ball, the ball maybe down the line was played to Robinson, Robinson plays that ball immediately back, and then a big switch. Josh, um, to kind of put that for you, being able to switch the field quickly in soccer opens up these lanes and opens up these paths to allow goals. Like goalkeepers are really good at uh, once you get to the highest level of your sport, um, which is this, you're going to have elite goalkeeping because you don't, you can't have bad goalkeeping and be where where these teams are at at this point in the quarterfinals of the NAI tournament. One of the best ways to score on keepers is misdirection have it come in quickly from the outside and then slide it in. What we saw in that U.S.-Iran game and something that I've seen Kaiser do, uh, I saw SCAD do it, uh, even Weber uh, performed this well. When they did that quick um, switch, when they, instead of that fullback going all the way down the line, he instead played a 1-2 right back to his center mid, before that pass, though, when the center mid uh, made that pass down the line, that forced the far left back, the far the fullback on the complete up opposite side of the field, and the left center back to kind of take away that space where in the U.S.'s case was Kristen Pulisic for tomorrow for Kaiser will be Ramona Kennedy. 
um, and also Kiki coming in uh, from the midfield. What that did is shifted everybody over. Now, a goalkeeper's job is to be able to organize the defense. Iran's goalkeeper, in this instant, did not do that. When the fullback and the center back got pulled over so far out of position, we see an over and overlapping run made by Sergino Dest. Now, Sergino Dest um, is one of the better players in the world. Um, but I could see very well seeing Forslund do this or Okoto do this. Not Okoto, I'm sorry. Uh, see Henriksen or Tagbol do this for Kaiser where they overlap and made that overlapping run on the opposite side. You see the big switch down to the corner. Boom, that ball gets played in immediately after the switch for the striker. In the U.S.'s case, it was Christian Pulisic. For tomorrow's case, it would be Kennedy. It could be Kiki. And seeing movements like that is something I'm going to be looking for for Kaiser early on. I'd like to see an early goal from the Seahawks to go ahead and take advantage of this. Um, we, we have seen Kaiser when they play um, opponents that – I won't say top, but well, like when they played uh, a, a Thomas, they, when they played the Nighthawks, we've seen them kind of play around a little bit. I don't think we'll see that from this Seahawk team tomorrow. I think it will be immediate. I think they will look to go up early. And then we obviously know what the defense is like with Grayson goal. Uh, you have two first teamers in that back line with Togbo and Hendrickson. And I'm very confident in the Seahawks tomorrow. Uh, I'll be very disappointed if it's a, if it is a one and done situation, uh, it would it would surprise me. I, um, I, I will be honest with y'all. When the time comes for an opponent, I will be very worried about. I will let y'all know. Uh, now, make no mistake, this is a losable game. This is a good team that has good number nines and can get in and can wreak havoc. And I think that is kind of what Aquinas would need to do. I think they're going to need their forwards. They are going to need uh, to be able to occupy the center backs of Kaiser and be able to make runs in the counterattack. And for Aquinas to score tomorrow, I'll be looking towards Cunio and Leicester to be able to make those quick balls, make that quick movement for them and get on the counterattack. If you can get, get an early one as Kaiser, I think you really pander them in that because then they are the ones that have to come out and they're the ones that have to attack. And obviously we know if Kaiser's on the counterattack, there's very few teams you you you're hoping for an error a good save or maybe a good tackle but when they're on the counter attack good luck to you uh, I'm very confident in the Seahawks tomorrow that game will be at 2 p.m eastern time I'm gonna be there all day um we have to, it's gonna be soccer non-stop 10 a.m central time until 7 p.m central time uh, I'll be up there it's going to be epic I can't wait for it uh a prediction for the game, I'm going to say 2-0 to the Seahawks. Uh, I think they'll advance on to the NAI semifinals, and, yeah, we'll go from there. Uh, speaking of NAI semifinals, we we stay in West Palm Beach, and we enter the next segment of our podcast to talk about this Kaiser Seahawks football team, who, I'll be honest, um, especially now that fo football's over, I can't really get in any trouble for um, anything like that anymore throughout the rest of the season. I, don't, I didn't really think Kaiser – would do this, Josh. Um, you know, the win over Bethel was impressive. Um, it, it, when they beat them, it was like, this is good. This is really good for the Sun Conference. I'm proud of them. But you're about to go play Morningside. Um, now, obviously, we didn't do a podcast before that, um, not due to that reason, of course, but because uh, Thanksgiving break, and I just had that notification go through about that Florida quarterback. That's terrible. Um, anyways, 
Um, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, awful. But what they just did beating Morningside, throw out the circumstance. They, they beat Morningside in West Palm Beach with their starting with Shea not getting hurt, with Marcus healthy. That's impressive. The fact they go to Morningside, a place I don't think anybody's won there since before COVID. And they went 29 to 28 with a backup freshman quarterback and a backup running back. Josh, talk to me. How impressive is that? I mean, if, you know, all year long, you know, Kaiser's been relying on those on those veteran players like Marcus and Jay. So when you look at it, there wasn't much time for those for those reserves to get much time, much experience, um, many game reps. So to be able to go into that kind of environment against that, like, I mean, we're talking like Shea and Marcus hasn't even played against a team like that yet this year. And now you're asking your true freshman to go in there and lead a 21 to three comeback against arguably one of the best teams in the country, whenever their own starting quarterback has yet to even shown that he can even do that yet. So that just shows the depth that this program has and the trust it has in its players. And then I think that all goes back to your coaches and still in that confidence in your players that, you know, when your name's called, it's, you know, it's time to go. And I believe in you. And I think that went a very long way. I mean, <clears throat> coming into the game, seven, 17 of 29, 226 yards and a touchdown as a true freshman against, you know, some of the, the better NAI players in the country. Um, it's just, it's just really impressive and it just shows how special sports is and it, it, you know, it's a testament, you know, to that program. If you if you really dive pretty deep into it, what um, what, what coach Doug Sosha has built there since becoming a program in 2018 is incredibly impressive, and it it, it shows a success and how quickly you can have success. You look at Northwestern, who's on the opposite side of the bracket um, in football, who could very well be a team if Kaiser uh, takes down the Vikings, which of course you're you're going to get into that here in a minute. You, you could very well be looking at two teams who started their their program my junior year of high school. So four or five years ago, and they could be in the NAI National Championship. And, yeah, we talk about veteran leaders or freshmen being able to tune in. But, you know, obviously we got to give a shout out to a veteran, a Kaiser veteran. You know, Jalen Arnold, uh, Sun Conference wide receiver of the year uh, as a uh, – he played Stealing well. my thunder, man. Still oh, my, my thunder. My all right, go ahead. Go, go off. Go off. You're all right. Um, <laughs> and I was about to get into that because, you know, he's been a person that I've liked to talk about all year long when we talk about Kaiser because no matter the result of the game, Jalen Ardo has shown up and he has put that team on his back in a sense in terms of the offense. Whenever they were not running the ball, the ball was more times than not in Jalen Arnold's hand. And one of the you know most crucial plays in the game, Jalen takes a look like to be like a skinny post or even a slant for like look to be like 60, 70 yards all the way to a house, all the way to the house. And you is and people forget he's a tight end. So he's outrunning defenses as a tight end. That just shows the elusiveness and the speed and the athleticism as someone like him. You don't really see that much today, like tight ends going 70 yards right down the middle of the field. Nobody catching them. You don't really see that much. I mean, there's a few guys you could you know, maybe say, oh, he could probably go, you know, all the way, you know, break a tackle, you know, outrun a guy. But, I mean, that's just impressive. And like you were saying, um, Sun Conference uh, or Suncast or was Sun Conference player of the year, offensive player of the year? Wide receiver. Wide receiver, okay. 
So they did consider him wide receiver, but he does line up at tight end most of the time, or at least close to the line, uh, to the offensive line. Um, uh, but I mean, he led the team in catches most games, yards most games, touchdowns. I mean, he's just a guy that the quarterback could always feed. Rewind the clock um, about a month and a half, two months ago to that St. Thomas game. If memory serves me correct, the game-winning touchdown was on a very similar play. Uh, very similar. A slant over the middle. And if you don't have a – if you don't go too high got or one high, if you go zero, if you go zero coverage, no safety help against this Kaiser team, and you see Jalen Arnold in the slot, son, it's too late. It's That's a touchdown. Yeah, that's a touchdown. And I doubt this team will make that mistake considering it's happened numerous times over the course of the year. When you well, got you a mismatch. Morningside. You, you wouldn't think Morningside um, would, would have done it, but you never know. Um, I got a question for you, though. Marquise Burgess, running back for Kaiser, running back of the year in the Sun Conference. Yes or no? He, he, no. he won it. He won it. Your thoughts? I disagree. And I think this has a lot to do with – this has a lot of similarity to what you see when you look at the Heisman Trophy in, in college Division One level. You know, I believe the player of the year or the Heisman or whatever the case is should purely be on the stats and performance of the player, regardless of his team, regardless of their out, the outcome. It should be the performance of the player and the stats the player produced. So, like, for example, whenever you look at the Heisman Trophy, you don't see too many Heisman winners with their team having less than or more than two losses. That's a rare. You know, Lamar Jackson, Johnny Manziel, those are just a few examples. But most of the time, the player who wins the Heisman, their team has a good chance at competing for a national championship. And I think that's why Rontavious Farmer deserved that award. But, you know, I get it. If, you know, if the Heisman Trophy is going to be like that, I can understand why the player of the year is going to be like that, too. So I agree with you. Um, I do think Tay Farmer was the best best player in this conference this year. Um, I mean, he, he was the, the second leading rusher in the whole country. Yeah, the whole country. Um, this is not taking any way anything away from Burgess. absolutely not, absolutely not. I mean, clearly he was deserving because I believe Burgess was number three in the country in rushing yards. Mm -hmm. So I mean, we're Top two not, by any means we're not taking his performance away. Because he was amazing all year, put the Seahawks in his back when the ball's in his hands. But if we're gonna look at, based on my opinion, based on pure, you just pull the numbers up. Because in football, in terms of a running back, in a way the numbers don't lie. That's one of those things where it's like, look at the yards. Like Josh, Josh how much did um did Kaiser going on the road? Again, let's rewind the clock. First three weeks. Close loss to Valdosta State, and then not blowouts, but definitely not close games to um, help me Mississippi College and Lindenwood. They're zero and three. How much did those three losses help them and prepare them for the situation that they were in this past week against the number one team in the NAI, down twenty-one to three on the road? Your quarterback gets hurt. How much of those moments and even looking, Bryce did play a little bit in those games. Now, granted, mostly garbage time, but still, you know, being in that game and playing that game, how big is it for Kaiser and NAIA team to have played those games on the road and to be battle-tested not once but now twice and come out victorious? How big were those games earlier in the year looking back now? 
The I, I believe I mentioned this before our preview with them before they went to Bethel. Um, I mentioned about how if I had to choose one team to go and you know run the gauntlet of this tournament, it was Kaiser because you know playing a team like Valdosta State, Mississippi College, Lindenwood, et cetera, that's not like playing an ordinary NAIA team. So they got like almost three bonus games. Um, so I wouldn't say bonus games, but in a way, like it just gave them a slight advantage because they were playing more physical, mm-hmm. physical defenses, more advanced offenses, faster players, you know, more advanced coaching staff. So it makes their players think even more about like what's going on. The film was a little bit harder to uh, digest. So there's a lot of things that like gave them a little bit more of an advanced, you know, advantage in, in terms of this, of this tournament that they're, you know, doing very well in at the moment. So I think that going forward, you'll see this more often with the better teams in this league. But because of course we saw an instance like St. Thomas, how, you know, they, they did the same thing and kind of got penalized for it. So you're going to see teams like Kaiser and probably like the, you know, top 10, top 15 teams in the NAI, you know, probably do that to, to help their program. But you're probably not going to see it as much in those teams on the, on the bubble, because like we saw it, it does happen to penalize you, I guess, in the eyes of, you know, the committee. But I think it, that was crucial. I don't. I think if they don't play those games, I don't think they they do this. In in my opinion, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Without the that test on the road early on, I don't think they're able to do what they've done the last two weeks and could possibly be doing Saturday. However, there's two sides to this coin, and the other side of that coin is St. Thomas. If Kaiser lost that game to St. Thomas, they're not in the playoffs. Period. And if you don't believe me, I mean, look, look, look at uh, St. Thomas. It, they're not in because they lost to a Division One FCS team. Now, was it by five points? Yes. Does St. Thomas get in if they were to play Madonna or, you know, whoever, a, a lower NAIA team instead of going on the road and playing a Division One Butler team? Yeah, they're probably in. Um, how far they would have got? It's hard to say because that Marion team that did get in, they mollywopped St. Xavier first round, then got mollywopped by Northwestern. Um, so I don't know if St. Thomas – I assume they beat St. Xavier again. I don't know if they beat Northwestern this go-around. Um, that would have been a very, very fun – I would have loved to have seen that St. Thomas defense go up against uh, Northwestern. I think they would have been able to control the running game a lot better. Uh, looking at Northwestern uh, Marion game where St. Thomas could have been playing Northwestern instead of Marion playing them, Marion was unable to run the ball. And next thing you know, they they had 35 points scored on them by halftime. I don't think that happens against St. Thomas. I'm not saying that we uh, – a fly just flew in my mouth. Look at that. It's disgusting. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Time out. Uh, anyways, um, do I think we're sitting here – if St. Thomas got that selection over Marion, are we looking at two Sun Conference teams um, in the final four? I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Um, I think it'd be very likely. Uh, obviously, that's just speculation. But, Josh, let's go ahead and get into that preview uh, for Grandview versus the Hawks. Um, coming in, um, Grandview – lights it up on offense for averaging 419 yards a game uh almost 40 points a game um 
and only giving up 8.8 points per game, allowing just under 230 yards a game. So you're looking at a really advanced offense and a really locked down defense. You know, who who will give up some yards from the 30 to the 30, it seems like. But whenever you get, you know, you approach the red zone, it seems like that defense starts to, you know, lock up pretty good. Um, but Grandview's led by Johnny Sullivan, 64.3% completion percentage on the year, about 3,000 yards, 32 touchdowns and 13 picks. So, I mean, what a great year. I mean, he's averaging 230 yards a game through the air. Um you got Ali Scott, uh, tailback, 213 carries for just under 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Did lose two fumbles this year. That is a, a point of emphasis if the Kaiser defense can, you know, get a hold of him and force a turnover. Um, also, Avery Gates with about 100 carries, 455 yards and five touchdowns. Also losing a fumble. Um, going into the receiving game, Carson Rollinger and Damon Street um, leading Grandview with 49 and 38. Uh, receptions respectively with 700 yards apiece combining for 18 touchdowns I mean those two right there are just you know the, the all reliable for for Johnny Sullivan so it seems like Kaiser is going to have to step their game up on the defensive side of the ball because Grandview can score and can score a bunch um, and to score a bunch really quick so it's going to be important to see what those defensive backs can do and see how they're going to be able to balance you know instead of selling out for you know the passing game and, you know, running, throwing some extra defensive backs out there, running some nickel and dime packages and stuff like that, um, and see if they're able to stop the run while doing that. Um, we'll just have to see. Um, but, you know, I like I've said all year long, Kaiser, Kaiser's been my pick from the, the preseason. Even when they lost three games, they've been my pick. Reagan can be a test to that. I've never backed down on them. Um, but we mentioned, you know, Jalen Arnold with – 800 yards and nine TDs as a tight end this year. Um, and not too much to talk about Bryce because he's a little bit, you know, he's new, not many not many stats for, for us to talk about. But, you know, we talked about his stats from last game, very capable, very, very capable. And, of course, Marcus Burgess, will he will not be playing, correct? As far as I know, he's out. Okay. Um, no, that's a tough Shea, blow. Chase I mean, Graydon Mezinger right behind him. With approaching 900 yards and 11 touchdowns, not a bad backup there, I guess. You know, not a terrible, terrible backup. I think um, this might be his game. I think this might be Messenger's game. Um, I don't know why. I think it's mostly because this game is being played in Des Moines, Iowa, where the high is going to be 30 degrees on Saturday. I just got a feeling he's going to run. And I, I think – that that's the key, in my opinion, for Kaiser. If they could control this, I think yeah. we want. That's the key. Anytime you play a team that can score like that, got to control the ball, got to limit your turnovers to give them short field. You got to make them earn it. You know what I mean? So, you know, if they can control it, you know, having some eight plus play drives, driving the field, even if it doesn't result in points, at least taking time off the clock, give your defense a break. Cause like you said, it's going to be freezing cold. Um, you know, this team is, you know, the boys in Iowa and the Midwest are always, you know, big, strong, and tough. You see that in every sport. You know, the corn-fed, um, there's going to be some big boys, so, you know, the defense is going to need a break here and there. Um, they're going to need to play on special teams. Um, this Grandview team's kind of similar to St. Thomas and how they are able to put up points. They obviously are going to have a great offensive line. 
how Kaiser won the game against St. Thomas was huge plays on special teams. Mm -hmm. Big kick returns. Yeah, big kick returns, uh, blocked punt. Uh, I fully expect uh, either a blocked punt or a big punt return. Kaiser does a really good job setting up the punt return. Um, as long as I'm not out there for Grandview hitting my rugby punt, I think they'll they'll do okay, man. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited for Kaiser. Uh, what what they've done this fall, Josh is. It, it, it's pretty much the same thing that we that we looked at with Southeastern last year, and it could be very similar um, results if one of these teams wins the championship. Um, if two if two win, even better uh, for the Sun Conference, for Suncast, for uh, Seahawk Country. What is it about a program though that has allowed them to build this? Like wh when you're looking at building a program like this, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I got a point that I'm gonna bring up, but and then we'll we'll, we'll finish up. But we'll, when you look at Kaiser and the success that they've built, um, you know, especially on the football side, such a short period of time, what what do you think the key to that is? I think some of it has to do with you. Know, we always talk about NAI being a bunch of small schools, and I think one thing that goes into it is is your resources. And I think Kaiser is one school that does have a lot of resources in comparison to others. And I think that's something that you can't hate them for having resources, but the way, because you can have resources and not use them correctly. So what I mean by that is, you know, Kaiser probably has a little bit more money to offer a little more, a little bit better facilities. I mean, look who, who wouldn't want West to go play uh, sports in West Palm beach and go to school. Um, there's just a lot of things that Kaiser has to offer that is intriguing for these players that some of the other schools in the area, meaning Florida, at least, like, for example, Weber and Kaiser, if you were offered the same scholarship as a player, you have to look at it. And we take us being at Weber out of it. Mm -hmm. If you're just a general person, you get offered by at the Weber, where Weber's located and where Kaiser's located. Let's even use Warner. There's not much in the Polk County area, and there's a bunch in the West Palm Beach area. Mm -hmm. And the program of Kaiser's, you know, kind of, a little bit ahead of the eight ball in most sports. Mm -hmm. So using their success, using their resources, and using their environment are definitely three things that are able to get some of these quality players. And that's just kind of the external stuff. That's not even the internal things. And I think that's a huge part is the, the internal is definitely probably more important, but those external factors are definitely something that are going to help out in terms of, you know, getting those players that are on the bubble. I think – You've almost hit the nail on the head. Um, the two words that you said there at the end where I'm, I'm going to go with this were quality players. You're getting these quality players. Josh, let's think of – we obviously have not had a lot of Seahawks on. It's difficult to get Kaiser athletes on. Um, the one guy we both had on, Jalen Arnold, and I think back to last semester, um, I'll throw in Garrett Rise uh, also because he falls in the same boat, but Tim Bouchard and then Jalen Arnold those two or three athletes that we've had on are arguably two, two or three, um, especially Tim and Tim and Jalen are two of what I would say, three of the more well-spoken athletes we've had on. They are, they know how to conduct themselves. They know how to represent their school. And that isn't just a mistake of them doing that. I mean, they're, yes, they are, they know they're representing their schools. And, and I mean, I'd say every athlete we've had on has conducted themselves and done very well, 
but with the Kaiser athletes that we've had on, it's uh, it, it's like another level. It you can tell how they conduct themselves off the field when they get on the field, when they're in the battlefield, when they have to make these quick decisions, the smart decision. They're not going to lose their head. They're going to play tough. They're going to play hard, and that comes from a culture standpoint. That comes all the way from your school to your athletic director down to your coaches going out and recruiting these players who are not in any bit worried when they have to go play two Division two and Division one team to start the year. They can look past the short term of that being, oh, man, these are three hard teams. Why would coach do this instead of giving us whoever? I think a lot of these players realize that. Um, and when you talk about the the women's soccer side as well, they had a very hard um, out-of-conference schedule that I think – now, I think Kaiser women's soccer is a little bit different than their football team um, just because of how good they are and how they have been good. And they're obviously not the 12th seed entering this tournament. Um, get back on track. Um, they've built something special within the culture. It's something Southeastern's done extremely well. We've seen it there, and we're starting to see it with our own eyes at Weber, we're starting to see the beginnings of that, but Kaiser's done such a good job of giving, getting the right athletes in and getting the right culture. They find kids, uh, whether through the transfer portal or out of high school that have the right character and come in immediately. And look at, let's look at Bryce. I mean, Bryce came in freshman played a little bit in these tougher games. Didn't really play too much in Sun Conference play. Boom, comes in against the best team in the NAIA and lights the world on fire. Um, I think I, obviously everything you said, I think a mix of that and a lot more that we're that we're missing, uh, most likely. But I feel like we, we've covered kind of why are they the Kaiser Seahawks? That and having powder blue and navy. I mean, that's the best color combination you can have. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. All right. Um, all, all Weber football listeners. I better, you know, get a pat on the back or something because I never, I never took the crown off you guys from the get go. Just for the record, just Weber for the record. Kaiser. 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 You said Weber. I'm not saying. I did not mean Weber. I meant Kaiser. Right. My bad. You're good. All right, Josh. We've ran longer than I thought we would, but that's just happens when we get cooking. Um, you got anything else you want to add, man? Um, no, nothing. All my right. Gators lost. I was going to say go Gators, but my Gators lost. So six and six. We can talk about that. I believe at the beginning of the year, you were looking at seven and five, eight and four would be a good year. Six and four would be disappointing for six and six. I feel like this six and six a little bit more disappointing than optimistic. If I were a Florida. See, see, for me, I look at it a little bit differently. The only reason why I say that is because if you look at our losses, so Florida State, a number 13 team in the country. Lost by a touchdown. Arguably could have had the ball first and goal if the penalty if the penalty flag is thrown, which it should have been. Um, but we're not going to make excuses. A loss is a loss. But one score loss. Tennessee, number eight, nine team in the country. Lost by five points. Had the ball with a chance to win with the last play of the game. Another loss there. Vanderbilt, inexcusable. I'm not even going to talk about that one. That's just horrendous. Georgia played an excellent third quarter. Made it a game for people to watch until, you know, Georgia, you know, kind of pulled away. Much better team there. But, I mean, you saw the fight in that game. And, I yeah, mean, there, I mean, there's games where you look at it and you're like, wow, like, 
And this team showed Utah, Texas A&M, South Carolina. You know what I mean? Like, these games, they're like, oh, this team can play a little bit. And then some of them are like, oh, this team is kind of terrible. You know, it's just – it's one of those things where you have to give the coach the benefit of the doubt, and you got to try and look for the positives when you're a first-year first year coach. That's fair. I remember Georgia going eight and five her first year of Kirby. I thought the world was going to end. Um, I mean, obviously – With a Florida like win in a bowl game, we're one game off of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, one more thing. The final four of the college football playoff currently stands Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. Is this the story? Is this is the, are those the four teams or no? Yeah. After after championship weekend, will those four yes. teams still be standing? Yes, and Caleb Williams will win the Heisman. I agree. I think Caleb Williams is your Heisman Heisman Trophy winner. Um, if they lose that game, um, I think Max Duggan and Max Duggan of TCU goes out and has a good game. I think he makes it. Uh, I think Georgia and Michigan are in no matter what. I think both of those teams can lose Saturday and still be in. I think TCU can lose a close one and still be in. USC must win. If not, Ohio State slides in. Um, I disagree. Bama's going to get in. No. Promise no, I Bama promise. Does not, Bama does I not promise. Have, Alabama does not have a top 25 win. They have two losses. I don't care how close they were. The loss is a loss. Uh, their best win would be eight and four Ole Miss. They are no longer ranked. Uh, I guess you could throw in eight and four Mississippi State in there. Or Texas. Well, you could throw in Texas, a one-point win with a backup quarterback playing for the opposite team. Okay, but hear me out. Why does Ohio State deserve when they got blown out at home? Because they have a win over number eight Penn State. And only one loss. I don't like, don't get me wrong. Don't do it. Who do I think is a better team? I'll take no. I, I actually no. I I think Ohio State is a better team than Alabama. Let's look at Alabama's. Win. No chance. No chance. No let's chance. look at let's look at who Alabama has beat. They win by four at home to the abysmal Texas A and M Aggies. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I don't have everything in front of me. Obviously, they blow out Auburn. Who cares? The SEC West is a poor division this year. It is not a good division. Uh, they beat Mississippi State. Who cares? They beat Ole Miss in a close one. Again, eight and four. Not a great team. Lose to Tennessee. I think if they played Georgia, it, it'd be a butt kicking. I'm telling you. And the committee's already kind of given that answer. They have Ohio State at five. So without either one of them playing, only I'm because sure. only because Ohio State was ahead of Alabama the whole time. Yeah, I don't Ever think since they, they got that second loss. I still don't think they flop them. I, I I still don't think they they would flop them. Um, I think it would take an abysmal loss to Kansas State for TCU. And don't get me wrong, it for TCU to not be in, not get in. We're dumpster diving. If USC loses, we are dumpster diving for something. And it's either Ohio State or Alabama. As a Georgia fan, I'd rather play Ohio State just because, yes, I am afraid. Exactly. So that proves my point. No. Alabama, no, no. you think Alabama's the better team? No. I think that's exactly what that means. No, I'm afraid of Alabama because they're Alabama. You asked me who's a better team and who I'd rather play. <laughs> I don't personally care because uh, I root for the Georgia freaking Bulldogs and they're going to be. Here's what's going to happen. I told you this about a month ago. Ain't all fair. I know I told you this. I said my dream scenario and how it's going to go down is going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. My evil plan has worked. Those are the four teams. Lincoln Riley is going to bring that candy style. He's going to come into Atlanta. 
in the semifinal in our backyard. We're going to thump them. We're going to play Michigan in L.A., and we're going to go back-to-back. That's the end of the episode. Go dogs. All right. Hey, I love you, man. I'm going to go have some fun. Love you, buddy. Here in Orange Beach. Um, Go Seahawks. Go Seahawks. All right. See you, man.